Hey everyone, and welcome to a special Digital Foundry Direct. So here's the story. Last week, uh, we finished recording Digital Foundry Direct Weekly number 20, and then literally directly after that, <laughs> Valve dropped the Steam Deck. So this is what we're doing. We're going to be amassing the new information we've discovered since the reveal, since the spec analysis. We're going to be talking about it here. We're going to be answering a bunch of user questions. And joining me, Alex Batalia. Oh, hey there, Rich. I, I'm still technically on holiday here, but as you can see in my holodeck recreation of my room, I'm doing well. I'm ready to talk Steam Deck. <laughs> and uh, also joining me, John Linneman. Hey, Rich. That's uh, I'm glad to have Alex back on here, and that's a pretty convincing rep, you know, representation of your typical room. I mean, you got the door back there, <laughs> even got the, the glass of water. So you just couldn't wait to talk about this because it's something like new. It's something PC related. So oh yeah, let's get into it. Well, let's begin actually by talking about first impressions um, of the unit, because obviously I've had my piece. I've said it. It's out there. Um, I think the spec analysis pretty much holds up. But Alex, what do you reckon? Um, well, my first impression was, whoa, this is the thing that we've seen rumored for a long time. So it was really great to see it come out there. Personally, though, um, I the way I do my gaming is not at all in a mobile fashion. I always kind of like having a dedicated place and a dedicated piece of hardware. And I, I don't actually mind sitting down and just playing on a screen, even though it is obviously not mobile. So it doesn't actually appeal to me as a consumer of video games or as a consumer of graphics, but I see it more as a technical curiosity. And I'm really interested in the kind of like philosophical notion uh, of what Valve's doing here, uh, how they're trying to broaden the PC base with a, a new platform idea and one that's more stable, hopefully. Um, so that's what I'm really interested in here, as well as the eventuality of maybe making optimized settings for this device really appeals to me. I do like uh, the low spec gamer kind of uh, deal, uh, do like, toggling settings, trying to get a really smooth 30 and 60 FPS on a, a device that you don't really think could maybe do that. So I'm, I'm interested in it from a technological standpoint, for sure. Yeah, I think uh, from my perspective, well, what can I say? You see, there's what we're going to get, and then there's the expectations from the user. And the expectations from the user are, okay, this is kind of like a, a switch for Steam, and it's going to run all our PC games. But there's a lot more to creating a console experience than porting over a PC uh, game. So I'm kind of a bit concerned that expectations may be going in a bit too high on this. People don't quite understand the amount of tooling that needs to go into a really successful mobile port. But at the same time, you know, they want to expand the PC audience. They think this is the device to do it. Um, I'm kind of in agreement with that. I think it is doing something that PC hasn't done before. The concept of a mobile has been proven. The concept of doing a successful mobile device, though, that's that takes something special. So, I mean, what's your take on this device, John? I kind of feel like you kind of hit it there, though, where doing it successfully is what we haven't seen yet, because fundamentally what the Steam Deck proposes is nothing new. We have devices like this already in the PC space. But I guess what's new is that they've actually managed to bring the cost down on actually very yes. recent technology, right? That's the key because most of the other comparable devices, uh, they they all, they usually used older generation hardware and the costs seem to be in like the seven, eight, nine hundred $900 or higher uh, price bracket, which makes it sort of prohibitively expensive. And I feel like typically people would look at that and be like, well, I'll just get a laptop. Uh, with this though, um, 
I think the the potential lies in the fact that one, uh, the price is actually reasonably affordable for what it is, and two, it's tied directly to sort of the storefront, uh, you know, Steam storefront where many people play their PC games. And if the idea actually is executed well, uh, you would imagine that there will be a better marriage this time between the hardware capabilities and like kind of the way it works with the games, perhaps like you would think Valve would, would have more sway to ensure that, oh yeah, uh, at least a subset of PC games being released will be well optimized for it. And even if it's not, you know, it's just a PC, so it is tweakable. Um, but at the same time, you know, there's also concerns regarding Valve and sort of their commitment to hardware launches. Uh, they have launched many hardware products in the past. Some have not been well supported for a long time, though I would argue in the PC space, it's less of a big deal because you can kind of just do what you want with it, even if it's not well supported. But at the same time, you know, Valve is also involved in Steam VR and Steam VR is still very well supported today. Uh, obviously they partnered with HTC originally, but they have their own headset out there now with the index that's gone well, very high end solution though. So this is obviously more of a mass market market product. Now for me personally though, I do want to say it's a curious one. Um, because typically I associate PC gaming with playing on a more powerful, uh, capable box. And if I want a portable or more streamlined experience, you know, with compromise, I just go to a console, right? Um, but at the same time, I'm also fascinated with, I, I love handhelds. I've got hundreds of them. Yes, I mean, John. I just have them just sitting here on my desk. Like I, <laughs> I don't know why I have this weird obsession with running things on portable devices. Uh, I don't, you know, since the pandemic, I don't even use them on the road that much. Right. Like sometimes I'll sit outside and play on the deck, but, um, I, I think handhelds are fascinating. And I also agree with Alex where like this, this idea, this challenge, this idea of here's this high end PC experience. I got to tweak it and make it run on this much less capable device. And it's, it's kind of sort of our chance to see what is possible. Um, and I think it is powerful enough to offer some pretty good experiences. Cause like, you know, if something like a switch was released, right. The average PC game, you know, first of all, it's the wrong architecture, but I don't think you could just take a PC game and dump it on a Switch class piece of hardware and have it run well. We've seen that itself with NVIDIA's and Shield products, right? You know, you've seen that Resident Evil 5 port. It's terrible, terrible. Uh, but Switch games are a lot more impressive than that. So I feel like at least now there's enough headroom where we can have some pretty impressive results. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. There's an interesting discussion about the whole Steam Machines thing because essentially... I think it the comparison isn't particularly valid because Valve didn't make any of the machines. That's true. Yeah. They, yeah. they created SteamOS, put it out there, and basically it wasn't enough. Would it have made a difference, though, you think, if Valve had their own box? Like, a big difference? If there had been a, a sort of target piece of hardware, if the platform holder, which is Steam, Valve in this case, had been behind it and kind of enforced standards, then yes. There was no reference device. Yeah, really. that was a problem. Yeah, yeah that, that's the main issue. Um, but let's move on and talk about the form factor, because um, this is something that you're quite heavily invested in, right, John? Yeah, so this is... Sorry, I, I'm talking a lot here at the beginning, but... Please, do. I know you guys will have a lot to say. <laughs> um, I thought a lot about the form factor, because, you know, as someone that uses a lot of handhelds, it's something that comes up. And there's been a move towards, you know, with systems like the Vita, especially the Switch, 
It's a flat slab like device. The switch is just, it's all the way that the problem is, is that at least with larger hands, I find that it's actually less comfortable than a lot of the chunkier older handhelds of the past because you have very little to grab onto and the buttons are always pushed up against the edge. Um, now in the case of steam deck one, the buttons are on the edge. Uh, but two, it does have these thick grips on the back, similar to some of the third party joy con sort of add ons you can get for the switch. But I actually think that this combination might work. So first of all, having those grips sort of eliminates that problem with the flat tablet feel. You basically have more to grab onto, right? You can tell that this is a device. This is not designed to be necessarily given to kids, right? So it has bigger hands in mind. This is, this is a machine that Gabe himself can play, right? So <laughs> Gabe can handle this device. It's made for him. Wow. You know, the dude, he's, he's got big hands, man. He's yeah. got to handle those knives. <laughs> um, and, but, but the buttons, though, I actually think the buttons will work. Because if you hold out your hands like you're holding this thing, right? If you, you put your thumbs vertical, like on the edge when you're holding it. The natural position is actually kind of up here at the edge. It would be, if they were still at the edge but lower, then you'd have to kind of contort your thumbs and bend it downward, right? And that doesn't actually feel good, but because it's right at the top, I think it may work. And as you pivot your thumb, you know, it's the buttons here, then the analog stick, then the trackpad there. Again, I don't know yet, but I do have a feeling that it actually might feel okay to use. So I, I'm, I don't think it looks great visually. Like it's not a beautiful device, but I think it might be a comfortable one, but I, I don't know. What do you guys think about this? Well, we got a question here from uh, Oliver McKenzie from the DF Supporter Program. The, su the somewhat inset control sticks on the Steam Deck look like they could be a bit uncomfortable. Does the team have any thoughts on this? Well, I think you've just answered that, John. Uh, more generally, how does the team feel about the control compromises that seem to have been made between the controls working well for console games and for PC games? Well, I think the the console side of things is pretty much sorted. I mean, the control angle is supremely well covered right down to those paddles on the back um, which i think is quite impressive what do you make of the kind of um dual uh touch pads on it alex um well i've touched a steam controller before is this a similar kind of concept i, I actually i own a steam controller and i've used yeah, it quite talk a bit john oh talk about it john <laughs> well, no so well, you... because i've only used it once okay. before and it's like ages ago <laughs> all right here we go again um mm -hmm. i'm sorry uh <laughs> yes the, the steam controller itself is actually a surprisingly functional device. And I have used it to play some PC only games on my TV. Uh, what I love about it is it's very customizable. I don't know, are the haptics in the touch pads? I missed that part on the Steam Deck. Do you know, Rich? Uh, I'm not sure. Cause I'm that, sure. that was a cool part of that. But even without it, it actually does work very well. And it allows you to map a lot of common PC functions directly to these touch pads and everything. And because Valve has the experience of building an interface around the uh, Steam controller, I actually think it'll work here as well, right? They're basically going to roll the knowledge that they've gained from that device into this one. And hopefully that means, yes, you can enjoy PC exclusive games without proper gamepad support on here. For sure. And I think part of that is the Steam input API that a lot of uh, user profiles exist for and a lot of support and people just love going out of their way to make uh, a steam controller and steam input profiles for Dude, there's so many games there's so many too yeah. i love it so, you just browse and you're like all right 
Um, so I don't actually have that much uh, thoughts on the form factor um, beyond the fact that I, I think I do like, like John, I do like something that is thicker in your hands because I don't have particularly large hands, but I, I do have the problem with tablets feeling like it's like they're, I'm too close to the, the pressure contact points from the back of it, essentially, um, if that makes any sense. One thing that I don't want to steer the conversation too much into the way of performance and things like that, but um, looking at the, the way uh, we were talking in the beginning here about essentially, is this actually about broadening the PC market um, for, for a more console-like experience? Uh, this will go partially into the UI experience, partially into the OS experience. Um, but we, John and I were very interested in the fact that we really love tweaking games. Uh, we like this idea of uh, trying to get 30 or 60 FPS on a device that doesn't seem like it could maybe do it. But that's not every what every user really wants. Um, so because going into a settings and turning things on and off and trying to get the performance you want, uh, that's what turns a lot of people off about PC gaming. And I think one thing that is key to the success of this, and it hasn't really been announced yet, as to the fact is that I think they need to offer a system of profiles that games have that when you download them and you can have like a Steam OS preference for 30 or 60 FPS based upon a game profile setting. And it will automatically configure the game's configuration graphical settings to hit 60 or 30 FPS depending upon what you want. Um, and I think that would be a key way to make the, this device work really well. It could be uh, community sourced if they want, or they could go the AMD NVIDIA route and have it done via the game driver. Uh, uh, that's the way I think that will, something that will make this device work really, really well. If people do not actually have to configure to get a good experience. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, um, I think that's what I mentioned in the spec analysis video that you basically have to be able to plug and play and get a good experience. And if there is this concept of having a profile for 30 or 60, um, I think that's a good idea as well. I think you'd need to accept graphical compromises, uh, possibly very visible ones on some titles if you're going for 60. Uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but I guess we should probably move on and talk about the, the kind of specs updates that we've had since the reveal. Okay, so yeah, um, essentially a while back, there was a big rumor of an AMD SoC codenamed Van Gogh which is very, very similar, if not identical to the specification of the Steam Deck's APU. Now, Valve are saying that it's a semi-custom design. I've no doubt that it is, but it's going to be very heavily based on um, this particular class of APU. So yeah, it's a quad-core Zen 2-based CPU cluster, variable clocks. We've got eight RDNA2 CUs, this has all been in the original spec. Interesting thing there is fluctuating GPU clocks and CPU clocks. Uh, GPU compute 1 to 1.6 teraflops, and we need to talk about that in a bit. One thing that wasn't revealed was the full memory bandwidth of this SoC. I don't know whether there's stuff about Van Gogh that Valve isn't able to disclose, but whatever reason, it wasn't disclosed. But here's the weird thing. I emailed Valve asking for this particular spec point, and uh, didn't get a reply, but then the specs page on steamdeck.com updated to include this information. So it is 88 gigabytes per second of memory bandwidth, which is more than I expected actually, um, but very, very good. In terms of um, balancing compute with bandwidth, it's, it's up there with Series X and uh, Series S and PS5. 
this is actually really impressive. I'll go into a bit more depth about that a bit later. Um, but yeah, there's been a lot of discussion about how it compares to the Series S. I wanted to set expectations in the spec analysis video here because, you know, there's been a lot of conjecture. Oh, it's 40% of an Xbox Series S. It should be able to do, you know, what Series X is doing at 4K at 720p. I don't see that. I really don't see that. I do think there will be compromises. It's not a straight translation. You can't just... It's not take- a straight translation. And the reason why is because um, the consoles are running at fixed clocks, right? The attraction of it is that you know exactly what the hardware is going to do at any given point. This has got a brutal 15-watt power limit. So whatever tasks you assign to the GPU and the CPU, the clocks are going to scale in order to make that happen. So this is why some of the performance analysis that we're going to be seeing here can look a bit odd, bearing in mind the specs. But we got this question here, you know, from Soban. What do you estimate the performance to be, given we're getting a weaker Zen 2 CPU than similar handhelds, uh, EMMC or micro SD storage, but considerably better GPU architecture and RAM? Well, here's the thing, Soban, we don't really know. That's the thing. We don't know how RDNA 2 runs at 15 watts. We know how it runs at 80 watts on Series S, um, but this power limit is really going to be quite crushing. I, I'm a little surprised that this hasn't been discussed more, to be honest, because I feel like this is sort of like the crucial factor here uh, and something a lot of people aren't taking into consideration. 15 watts, it's not a lot, right? I mean, this is obviously already an issue with the Switch and any portable device, really, but at least with a laptop, you know, you have much larger batteries and power supplies where with these portable PCs here, uh, the limitations are pretty strict. Mm. Yeah, that's the thing. Um, and obviously with the Switch, Nintendo actually underclocked a mobile part to make everything happen. Um, it seems that essentially what's happening with Steam Deck is that, you know, the clocks will float according to the power limit. That's why we're getting this. I think it's uh, 2.4 gigahertz upwards on the CPU and um uh, basically one gigahertz upwards on uh, the GPU. So until we go hands-on, until we see you know actual data from the device running, it's really difficult to, to say what's going on here. But I did want to do some kind of testing here. Now, we had these clips from uh, Valve showing the machine running. I do think it is actually the machine running as opposed to... Um, gameplay being superimposed over the screen. I think we can be pretty clear about that. Um, I think the good news, first of all, if we can uh, kick off with Doom Eternal, I said in uh, the spec analysis video, Locked 60, um, I actually went through this and all of these clips frame by frame to mark up which were duplicate frames. You mad man. Which are not. (laughs) Um, Well, you know, to be fair, each clip was only between three to 500 frames. So it didn't actually, it was no, no more than a couple of hours work. Uh, Doom Eternal is pretty much locked uh, 60. There's like three dropped frames during the whole clip. It's pretty much invisible. And the thing about this clip is it's taken from their website. So, you know, we're we're kind of going through the website player here. So, you know, I'm pretty convinced that Doom Eternal will be a locked 60 simply because it's, you know, it's Vulcan. But also it's the, this is the PC, right? So it can also not be a locked 60 if you choose. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty much that's pretty much right. Um, I think the other thing, of course, is that um, Ida's sitting on 
a Linux version of Doom Eternal because it runs on Stadia. Yep. So, you know... That has not been publicly released otherwise, so... Yeah, so, you know, the port exists. If they wanted to make a native version of Doom Eternal, it could be out there on, on Steam Deck. And I really hope that happens as opposed to running it through the compatibility layer. Although, that said, it seems to run exceptionally well under the compatibility layer, judged by uh, what's happening on ProtonDB here. So, yeah, 60 frames per second there, and um, it's, it is effectively locked. The next one, which I think people are going to be really interested in taking a look at, is um, Fallen Order. Now, this seems to be um, unlocked frame rate, sort of 30 to 40 frames per second. I mean, we've got, like, literally a snippet of footage here. It is quite telling, though. That's that's kind of how it ran on the uh, older consoles with the unlocked frame rate originally. <laughs> right, Okay. <laughs> But it does, you know, I really do hope there are going to be system level frame rate limits available because... Um, Actually, Rich, that, that's an interesting thing you say that. Is there anything like that for Linux? Like, I haven't really fiddled around with frame rate capping in Linux specifically. You can do it in the various drivers, um, like, uh, you know, like NVIDIA's or AMD's drivers, you know, you can do it there. Uh, but don't know about SteamOS versions of that, though. Yeah, I mean, the rest of the clips, I mean, there were two that I couldn't really... Uh, I mean, the screen was too far away from the camera for me to be able to actually accurately count the frames. Uh, but uh, Disco Elysium does seem to be locked 60. That's a hard-to-run game. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm shocked. Shocked, I tell you. And um, the other one was Baldur's Gate 3, which is dropping frames, but is running unlocked. And that's pretty much all I can say about that. The rest of the games, as you can see here, they are basically 60 frames per second locked. But as you, you, you'd kind of expect that from the content, really. Yeah, so we've got a question here um, from Daniel Tobin. He's saying, I would love to see a PC build with similar hardware to the Steam Deck to get some performance ideas before the official release. Would you guys be interested in doing something like that? Now, I've seen lots of stuff online saying, hey, you know, this uh, memory bandwidth stuff, it looks fantastic. I'd say that it's broadly in line with a Radeon RX 560. And possibly it is. But the Radeon RX 560 isn't running at 15 watts. So, yeah, I mean, I really want to stress that spec sheet on, uh, on steamdeck.com that is talking about you know 1 to 1.6 teraflops of compute um, how that variable clock and that variable compute is going to scale i don't know i'm not too worried about the cpu side of things in the here and now because um you know we're seeing games running at 120 frames per second on series s i don't think the cpu side is a worry in the here and now but you know i wanted to put all of this into context so I wanted to see how integrated graphics run some of these titles. And we've got, um, I've got the Asus Zephyrus G14 here, which is running the Ryzen 9 4900HS. Um, it's a 35 watt part. It's running Vega CUs, eight of them at up to 1.75 gigahertz. So it's effectively up to about 1.8 teraflops. And I'm gonna run you through some of the uh, conclusions that I've got here. First of all, um, let's look at Doom Eternal. I could run this at 720p, 60 frames per second, basically locked, but with dynamic resolution scaling and on medium settings, and it was awesome. It was a really good experience. But I can see from the DRS uh, indicator in the performance metrics here 
that sometimes it is dropping to 50% resolution scale when things are really, really going crazy on screen. Now, that may well be down to the fact that um, we've got limited memory bandwidth on, on this Renoir chip here. It's about 50-odd gigabytes per second, I think, which is less than Steam Deck. Obviously, it's running on a less capable architecture, of course, but it does have 35 watts of power available to it, which I'd say gives it a considerable advantage. So there's plus and minus points here. So, yeah, I mean, the hope was that you would kind of be hoping for like um, a PS4, base PS4 experience from an integrated iGPU. I really hope that is the case, but I think fundamentally the 15 watt power limit there is is going to be onerous. There's an interesting aspect of that actually, just thinking about it, sorry to un, you know break you out there, Rich, but um, with the way a GPU works, uh, the fixed function units are gonna be more power efficient usually than the general compute stuff. Uh, so you can have an interesting situation where turning down certain graphical effects uh, will allow you to have more battery life and allow you to have um, technically a higher upper range resolution if you're using dynamic resolution. Like if you turn off SSDO in a game like Doom Eternal, which is done through compute, and you let more of the rasterization pipeline take over to be using more of the power, you can actually have a better game experience. There's, there's so many weird uh, considerations you have to make that, you know, the developers that make Switch titles have these considerations in their mind all the time. But do users have these considerations? Probably not. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's, it is fascinating to see how um, the bottlenecks are going to be completely changed here. And I honestly think that this is one of the reasons why there does need to be an element of curation. You can't just put a port out there and, um, you know, you can't just put the PC port out there and say to the user, have at it. Because uh, you could probably get away with it on older titles. Um, but the newer titles... I do think that they're going to need some level of optimization. That assumes that this is a huge smash hit, right? Yeah. Well, you know, the pre-orders <laughs> sold out in seconds. Yes, but and, it's um, amazing. Yeah. You know, basically, it's. It, I'd say it's off to as good a start as it's going to be. And I think the form factor is going to make it very attractive. I think the fact that Switch Pro isn't anywhere in sight is going to turn a lot of um, eyeballs towards this. Um, I do think that obviously there is going to be supply issues, though, because, you know, the pre-orders went within nanoseconds, basically. <laughs> You're looking at, in some um, cases, Q1, Q2 2022 uh, to get a unit now from Valve. And to be fair, I'm, I'm happy that uh, they are being quite open about when you are actually likely to get a unit. But supply is going to be constrained there. But I think it is a really good, I mean, this is the way to expand the PC audience, I think. I think gaming laptops did a good job. This is kind of like the next phase. Uh, but kind of let's go back to um, the APU testing here because this is basically pretty much the best experience you can get on an integrated graphics part at the moment. Um, I also looked at uh, Remedies Controlled, which was shown running on uh, Steam Deck. Um, the footage from Valve doesn't look great. And um, the footage from IGN, for some reason they shot all of their content, or at least mastered the videos they did at 30 frames per second, which is, you know, a bit disappointing. Well, that's typically how you shoot shoot video for production, right? Either 24 or 30, so I can see why they would have shot it that way by default. But if you're trying to show a gaming device, not the best choice. Yeah, um, yeah the IGN footage, again, you know, I could literally count the frames, and it did seem to be running at 30 frames per second. But this is how it runs on the Renoir APU. 
Again, to stress older architecture, more power, less memory bandwidth, but this is integrated graphics in the here and now. Um, 720p, low settings, low being console equivalent. Um, it's actually running all right. <laughs> Corridor of Doom, 32 frames per oh, second, yeah. generally, generally 30 to 40 frames per second. So this is quite interesting about how, you know, scaling down resolution quite dramatically compared to the standards of PC gaming at the moment. It is opening the door to making integrated graphics work. So, yeah, I'm going to be really interested to see how this one works out. And the final bit of APU testing here, I had to check out Jedi Fallen Order since it was um, shown running with a variable frame rate on uh, Steam Deck. And this is running basically at 40 to 60 frames per second, 720p, medium settings. Nice. Uh, medium is low. It's the lowest you could go in Jedi Fallen Order. Well, um, they, could it, name, they could name the lowest high and be done with it. Nobody would <laughs> Well, this is the thing, you know, there's going to be, you know, p- possibly there'll be some PC gamers out there saying, what's control running at low settings? This is this is not good at all. But low is just a name. This is basically how it's running on the consoles. Um, it's just at a lower resolution. And it looks fine because the design target of the Northlight engine in that game is 30 frames per second um, on low settings. You know, so it can run on a PS4 and an Xbox One. And it looks fine. You know, you get extra um, fidelity at higher settings. It looks better. But, it, you know, it's similar to the Red Dead 2 situation where, you know, um, it looks all right on low settings because that was kind of what it was designed for. I wonder if you uh, make the, uh, you can do some workarounds, I think, to get the Epic Game Store working on Linux. You could run that on this thing and try the EGS version to control. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that would be interesting. Um so, yeah, you know, in terms of uh, the integrated graphics testing I did, I'd say that there's kind of overall good news here in that games were running. What I will say about Fallen Order is that the streaming stutter that we've noted across the board on all versions of the game, it's absolutely dreadful oh, <laughs> on, on, the, uh, on the integrated graphics. Oh, no. To the point where, you know, we should be talking about frame times, but at frame rates, I did notice seven frames per second at one point. Yeah, which isn't great. So, you know, the reason we've done this segment is basically, um, first of all, to show you the best of the best in integrated graphics at the moment, which I think um, Intel would probably take issue with that, with their latest XE iGPUs. But, you know, this is very, very good, and it's vaguely applicable to Steam Deck. (laughs) So that's why I did it. Um, But, again, I just want to stress that the power limit is going to be the the killer thing for this. And um, we've had a lot of questions about, you know, battery life and whatnot, what to expect from that. I think we'll talk about that a bit later. Um, But suddenly something has appeared on the docket. Talk about the screen! Exclamation mark, exclamation mark. John, is that you? That's me, yeah. Uh, (laughs) That's that's something else I've talked about before. And this... I think the screen is a really like for any handheld, the screen is like the most important thing um, because, you know, a bad screen can absolutely ruin a good handheld. Um, and that's so in this case, I think they've made a wise choice with the 1280 by 800 screen. The resolution makes sense, even though a lot of people complain about the PPI on the switch screen. and This is going to have the same issue. I still think it's actually the right choice. 
but what's not what I don't this is tricky. So I understand bu budget, right? And getting the price down, that's a key part of the Steam Deck. And they probably have done the best that they could, but I feel like we're really missing out on what could have been like a truly exceptional screen experience. Um, I don't think a 60 hertz LCD cuts it in this day and age. At the very least, a 60 hertz OLED would have been nice. But even if you're sticking with 60 hertz and LCD, um, again, I don't know what the battery life implications would be, but I would have liked to have seen at least some sort of VRR support in there, you know, like even if it tops out at 60 Hertz, like that would actually alleviate so many potential issues with this thing. And because it's a handheld, you can assume that the screen is going to be there. Right. So that would have been a huge thing. And then, you know, I'm also disappointed that and again, all of this comes down to cost and battery life, right? Like, I understand why they didn't do it, but I would have liked to have seen not necessarily support for high refresh rates from a gaming perspective, but a a higher refresh rate panel so that that could be pulsed, uh, essentially doing sort of like ultra low motion blur slash black frame insertion kind of techniques on it. Uh, I actually think that something like that would have been an absolutely killer feature on a s handheld device with a very specific screen. And so any of these things that I named, just one of them would have really changed the game for me, at least in terms of what they're offering on the screen side. But as it stands, just a, a 1280 by 860 hertz LCD by itself, that doesn't impress me and it kind of disappoints, if you will. Well, this is a question that's actually come up a lot, which is, does it have VRR? And first of all, if it did, I'm sure they would have said so. Um, <laughs> secondly, um, the whole reason we were able to do those performance metrics is that we can physically count the refreshes of the screen. If you do VRR um, screen capture, which I have done recently, those frames would kind of blend together and you wouldn't really be able to tell what the frame rate was. It was pretty super easy to do with, especially with Jedi Fallen Order, because the scene was in constant motion. Uh, the lightsaber update, you could physically see the ghosting and then the ghosting disappearing when there's a duplicate frame. So that's, you know, we've got some experience of doing that because before we had our um, capture switches, um, which piped out a feed, we would physically film the screen and count the non-ghosted frames. I, I remember doing that for Bayonetta 2 on the Switch. Yep. And like starting in the afternoon, <laughs> putting the frame rate graph over the top of filmed footage and counting every single frame. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's not a pleasant experience, no. but the fact that we can do it at all on uh, Steam Deck uh, kind of proves it's not a VRR screen. Or if it was a VRR screen, they didn't have it turned on. Um, so yeah, I mean... I would have loved to have seen a higher spec screen. Absolutely. Um, I just think that it's coming down to that 399 price point that they, they really felt they had to hit. And G Gabe has said it's painful. Yeah. And it, w it was painful for them to reach that. And even then, 64 gigabytes of storage is like so little for a PC. And I don't know. It, it feels to me like, like this is a case where they had to get the price down at any cost. At any cost. And that cost being three ninety nine, it's actually like a not a desirable product. It's like when you would get those Apple would have like three models of the iPhone and the base model has like no storage on it basically, and you're like, well, this is not very useful. 
Um, <laughs> you know, here's the, here's the thing, John. Uh, we've got a question here from Ibrahim. I thought one of the most interesting things that came out of the reveal was Gabe Newell's comments about how they'd be quite happy for other hardware manufacturers to step in and provide devices that are on a similar level to the Steam Deck. Do you foresee the likes of Razer and Alienware or potentially a platform holder like Epic stepping in? I don't see a platform holder stepping in, but those other um, uh, OEMs... They could absolutely make their own. People Steam are deck. already doing this stuff, right? Absolutely. But now they have sure. a, a target platform. So you know, for a kind of um, more discerning niche audience, um, they could they could step in and produce one with a VR screen, and um, and you know other kind of um, technological advances that we'd like to see. Uh, I guess the main issue would be they'd need to have access to the processors, the ultra-low power processors, but, you know, give it a year or two or or just set up an agreement with AMD for Van Gogh and um, you're sort of good to go there, I think. So, you know, I wouldn't get too upset about it as a concept, but it does kind of rely on the concept taking off, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, <laughs> not, I'm not upset or anything about the screen specifically. It's more just... I feel like it's a really missed opportunity to to basically take one of the strengths of the PC platform and put it directly in this device. Uh, and because the screen is so central, like if you don't have the screen, you have nothing here. Yeah. Other, yeah. other than <laughs> like a really slow PC that you could hook up to a monitor, right? The screen is everything. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, um, while we're talking about uh, hooking it up to a screen, um there was actually a question which I'm trying to scan through. Here we it's go. From it's from Tiago Sousa. Yeah. Yes. How good Tiago. do you think the Steam... Yeah. <laughs> I think it is Tiago. I probably misspelled it. Oh. Uh, how good do you think the Steam Deck will be when connected to the dock compared to the portable mode? Do you think it will be able to run games when connected to a 1080p screen at an acceptable frame rate, 30 or 60? Um, I actually think there won't be any difference based on what I've seen so far, because it seems that the hard set limit of the SOC is 15 watts. It doesn't say it's going to increase if you connect it to a powered source. That'd be interesting and different than the Switch then. You know, that's way different in that aspect, right? Um, I would I would actually like to see them unlock. Maybe it just can't do it because of the thermal situation inside the, the chassis at that point. Uh, but that would be a nice way for people to have extra utility for this device uh, if they do want to hook it up to a screen and get essentially what would be a PS4-like experience. Um, but that's limiting, yeah. Yeah, it is down to the thermals. You know, it's similar to the, the Switch situation, really, where, you know, essentially they do up the GPU clocks when you're docked uh, significantly. Um, but the device still has to be cooled. And one thing I will say about the 35 watts on the Zephyrus G14 here is the fan kicks in really hard. So um, I'm going to be interested to see how the acoustics work out on the Steam Deck there. It's got to be pretty good, I think. I want to talk quickly now about the compatibility layer because there's been a lot of discussion about this. Um, Alex, what do you make about this? Because you know we're not we're not running Windows out of this stock, are we? We're not. So it is running through a, a Vulkan... Uh, translating uh, DirectX commands or even Vulkan commands uh, from the Windows environment semi-natively. And, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty light, actually. 
um, Proton in general, but it is going to have a CPU and GPU overhead that's going to depend upon the GPU and CPU you're using. The lower end it is, the higher it is, essentially. That's, that's essentially what you're going to have to deal with. There are some interesting situations on the PC side with Proton and DXVK, DXVK in general, where um, on the AMD driver, since it has very poor DX9 and uh, OpenGL support, you can actually get better uh, Proton or DXVK performance in older titles at times because the AMD driver is just really bad at OpenGL and things like that. Um, but that's just legacy title support. So you actually are going to be getting on Proton on the Steam OS here lessened performance uh, than you would in a native situation. And I really do think it'll depend heavily on the game how, how big of a deal this is because people have been developing Proton right now um, with the you know like higher end hardware in mind, uh, and you know <laughs> this little CPU with this thermal budget at 15 watts, uh, it may end up being actually a, a pretty big deal. Uh, getting in the way of 60 FPS at, for some games, I'd imagine, uh, on the CPU side, maybe. So, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that pans out. But, you know, I've seen some headlines like, these are the games that don't run on Steam Deck for now. And it's completely ignoring the fact that, you know, literally in the PR, they're saying, hey, we've actually made some massive improvements to um, Proton. And it's actually going to work on pretty much everything. That's our aim. So, you know, that's, you know, I'm assuming that Valve would, wouldn't make these claims without some kind of backing to it. And what I will say, though, is, um, Alex, uh, before this recording, we were talking about um, Proton. We were looking at Proton DB, and we noticed that most of the games that they were showing were rated as either gold or platinum on the Proton database at the moment. So it does look as though, you know, we were looking at um, best case scenarios for the compatibility layer there, assuming they weren't native yeah, that is also interesting because um, looking at that compatibility list too, I joked to Rich, like um, older games that are DX9 had worse compatibility than like larger, modern, hyper-intensive graphical games like Death Stranding. Like Death Stranding was gold, if I recall, Rich, right? And then, you know, Ground Control 2 was silver. Uh, one is way uh, more graphically intense and CPU intense than the other. So... I think that maybe shows that there actually is probably a good chance that modern games with their slick new APIs and their targeting low-end APIs may translate really well to Proton in general, uh, better than older games that maybe have, you know, like legacy issues, were built around drivers from 2008, all these kind of things. So, um, and I really do think uh, now that Proton and uh, has such, it has more, instead of just being like a curiosity uh, that Valve works with the community on the side. Uh, I think now, since there's an actual device, which you know tons of people are gonna have, the development on it is gonna just increase kind of like RPCS3 has, where there's actually money behind it now and there's a developer that's dedicated to it and a big developer. So I think it's gonna just get better. And this is good, this is good for Linux gaming in general, right? That's not just about the, the Steam Deck. I mean, this is, this is good to see. And it's clearly, this is part of uh, their push to make uh, Linux a more viable gaming platform and it already is and you know they're just ratcheting it up basically. Actually going back to our Slack conversation Alex <laughs> um, Control is rated platinum uh, on Proton DB. That's awesome. Uh, Fallen Order is gold. Death Stranding which was shown in the IGN videos is gold um, Doom Eternal is platinum as you would kind of expect 
Um, but yeah, I'm I'm just kind of wondering how many of these Stadia Linux games will actually make their way over to Steam Deck. It kind of seems like a, a bit of a no-brainer. I think Control might actually be on Stadia. I'm not sure. It's I've just uh, had a look, and it's coming to Stadia in the summer, apparently. Um, but again, you know, if there's a Linux version out there, it's happy days for the uh, for the Steam Deck. Yeah, I guess it's a matter of uh, getting the publisher and the developer to sign off to do that in the first place. If Valve has the uh, clout to make that happen. Um, I want to talk about something else um, on the spec points that was added um, since launch. Now. There were a lot of questions about the storage situation because the standard model, the 399 model, comes with a 64 gigabyte eMMC NAND, which uh, I was a bit concerned about. I wouldn't really want to run an OS or games off NAND, PC OS. But it turns out, again, this um, tech sheet was updated and um, they're saying that it's a socketed M2 2230 SSD which kind of suggests that users will be able to replace it, upgrade it, but but it seems that Valve isn't recommending it. It says it's not sort of not designed to be end user upgraded, uh, which is kind of kind of weird. But um, we Makes had sense. a tweet. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, maybe it's simply located in a part of the device. I mean, when it's difficult to get exactly to. when you're when you're building one of these portable devices, you're dealing with very small form factor, and everything's got to be packed in there as tightly as possible. Uh, I don't think they want to. I mean. It would be cool if they had like a little panel on the back where you could easily access it, but I suspect that that just wasn't necessarily feasible given that the constraints they faced in building it. So I'd imagine they don't recommend it because it probably means taking the system apart. Yeah, it probably means voiding the warranty. Um, but there was a um, a tweet actually from Lawrence Yang from Valve saying that in the IGN coverage, all the games were being run off the SD card. Ha. Interesting. Which is uh, which is really interesting information, and we'll, we'll definitely give it a go. But it does seem, I mean, you look at the spec sheet, and they are talking about the SD card slot as being the primary form of expansion. And we also, uh, via IGN, a couple of days after the reveal, had a look at the OS improvements. I don't know if you guys had a chance to look at that video. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Um, I it guess looks, the, the... looks good. It looks good. I mean, I've used Steam Big Picture before. Um, this just looked like a more tailored version of it for the specifications of the handheld, uh, which I liked. Uh, the one thing that uh, intrigued me most as a PC uh, person who just plays PC games all the time is they did mention sleep and resume or suspend and resume, as they call it. Uh, I, I think it's just for one title at a time, so it isn't at all like the Xbox Series situation where you can suspend and resume multiple titles. But that is kind of like something you'd immensely want for a, a portable device to just like, I stopped my game, I'm playing control, I got to like one aspect of the game and I just want to put the device down and relax and get it back immediately in the game. And that's really key here. That's like essentially a requirement, right? Like it's been this, this is how it's been since like the DS and PSP, right? Where you just close the system, turn it off and then you pick it up and continue. I mean, I, for me, it kind of made sense that I, I I never assumed that this wouldn't be there because if this wasn't there, then this thing would be awful. People would immediately <laughs> detect that, oh, this is not because I mean what good is a portable device that you can't do that on, right? So I I'm, yeah. I'm glad I'm glad that, that is not an issue here. <laughs> That's cool, but it requires Steam OS to be highly tailored because, no, I know, because normal it's not, Windows can't do that. Exactly. It's easily. not trivial on the PC. Yeah. That's exactly right. And so I think it's really cool that they've pulled that off here. Um 
That also makes me wonder, though, about, you know, if people got adventurous, and we'll talk about that more in a bit, but tried to install Windows, what that might look like and why that's probably a bad idea. That is a good point. Um, we've got a question here from Trans Tech Girl. Why, while Steam Deck is going to be an open platform, many publishers don't have their game launchers available on Linux. So without Windows, the deck is limited mainly to Steam. Do you think that a radical enhancement of Proton will lead to more game launchers being made available on Linux? I think a question that I've got over and above that is how open is this device and how supported is this device? Because, um, yes, you can install Windows on it, but you could install Linux on a PS3. You couldn't do anything with it because there was no drivers for the <laughs> for the hardware. So, you know, it's one thing that I have seen people saying is, you know, okay, we can bypass all of these compatibility uh, issues uh, with Steam Deck just by installing Windows on it. But what I haven't heard yet is Valve saying, yeah, you can install Windows on it and we're going to be supplying the drivers necessary to actually use use the system. So that, that um, is useless, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I suspect, you know, if it doesn't happen from Valve, people will probably hack AMD drivers once um, Van Gogh is available more generally. But all of this comes down to that that sleep mode or the suspend mode. Like, I mean, we don't know, is it going to work with literally every game you could play in Linux? Like, what what is the prerequisite uh, for this working, it's right? It's got to, right? Like, it's, this is the big challenge, you know? Like, they need to make sure that this works with everything possible. And I'd be curious to see if this is some sort of, like, hardware function where, you know, when you power off, it, like, saves it to, like, a like memory somewhere that just is active when you power it back up. Like, can this work just, you know, OS agnostic or is this like something tied to the drivers in there? Like, I don't know. Like that, those are all interesting questions that tie into whether or not this thing is really usable as like a, a PC uh, to do what you want. Right. To, I mean, to tie into the question, I think there will be uh, launches because it is just Linux, you know, if all of this um, suspend and resume stuff is handled at the OS level, it should work with other store funds as well. You, you'd think it should. Sure, yeah. Yeah. You'd think. You'd hope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So that you know, this whole open nature of it is um, is quite interesting for, uh, from my uh, perspective. There's actually been a fair amount of questions here. Um, one from WK Snacks. All right. Nice name. And hey. a very sim similar question from Shaky Jake 33. All right. Do you think it's 3DO representing right there. <laughs> Shaky Jake, one of the, the best characters in Way of the Warrior. Way of the Warrior. Uh, well, that's, that's news to <laughs> what me. What a good game. Awesome. <laughs> um, the question uh, from WK Snacks. Do you think it's likely that Microsoft will create an optimized Windows Store app for this purpose or similar? I'm thinking this could include controller mapping presets or graphics profile presets for certain games what about using it as an x cloud device i think you could put the game pass client on there and if the compatibility layer is as open as the rest of the system game pass for pc could could work on it right game pass for pc though uses all the uwp stuff or whatever right isn't the isn't the the, the scuttlebutt that games pass for pc is coming to steam isn't that the scuttlebutt? Oh, I don't know. I swear, I swear that was something that was being talked about for a while now. I love that word, scuttlebutt. Is, yeah, good old Mariner talk. No, I, I was just, <laughs> maybe this ties into this, maybe not, but I'm just thinking about Game Pass on PC seems to, due to the way that it functions, it sort of eats up drive space in a way that's not really user accessible. 
and I've seen so many reports of people using it and it's like, oh no, there's an error. Now the game won't update. And then the only way to even reclaim the space is like reformatting your system and reinstalling windows. And uh, it just seems like there's a lot of issues with the underlying way that they store files when using Game Pass for PC that I don't know. Yeah, I think in its current form, it's not going to work. But if there is a Steam hookup, uh, as has been widely uh, sort of conjectured, there's, there's, I mean, physically, I mean, it is basically about the client, the quality of the client and whether it can run on Linux. If there's a new client that is Steam friendly, then there's no problem, right? Certainly it would be the same, it would be the case with Epic if they, um, if they, you know, produced an optimal launcher. That should work on here just fine. And um, uh, interesting question here from Daniel. Oh dear, I hate these surnames I can't pronounce. Daniel, uh, Cass- oh my gosh. Cassace? Daniel C. Cassace? We'll say Daniel C. <laughs> In addition to questions on xCloud, I mean, you could easily run xCloud on this, no problem. Um, what about the local streaming options built into the current Xbox and PS Remote Player applications? These have native Windows, Android, iOS apps, and there seems to be no issues with this local option getting through App Store review, that's Apple, etc. So is this more a more likely inclusion as a Linux native app in the store scene front? It, it would be a piece of cake to do, I'm pretty sure. Question is whether it's it, it would be a, a brutal uh, underutilization of the hardware, mind you. I mean, you could get exactly the same level of performance from you know a phone that's five years old, but and a, fo- and a phone can do it over the um, the cellular network, right? Yeah, this is not yeah, a cell yeah. device, so there's a, a sort of big question that's that's surrounding this, which is what is Valve attempting to do with this? Because there are a lot of people out there that think that Valve is essentially going to war with Nintendo. Oh, are we going to get into that um, now? Because there's, there's why a... not? Okay, sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, from where I'm standing, the price point puts it into uh, close contention with with Switch, but they've got it all to prove on the experience front. I think. What do you What do you reckon, John? I really don't see this as a competing device at all. Like, I just think the PC audience is so fundamentally different from what the Steam audience is. Well, sorry. What yeah, but the, the point what, is they're they're expanding the audience. Uh, right? the, they say this. that, but do you really think that that like the the Switch isn't popular be, because you can just play a bunch of PC games, right? It's it's popular for the types of games that Nintendo makes and a lot of the games on there. Not to say you can't get some of that stuff on PC, but I just feel like, you know, the way the Switch is, everything's crafted around that sort of portable experience and, you know, designed specifically for that platform. Um, We're talking about taking full-fledged PC games, right? These are games that PC gamers usually aim for the best experience, right? That's one of the primary reasons besides being more open-ended that you would want a game on the PC because you can push your experience to the next level. And I really have to wonder if the people getting excited about this that maybe weren't already into the Switch would be like, you know, it almost feels like a novelty, right? Like, it's like, oh man, I can play uh, this high-end PC game on a portable. And then they do it once or twice on the toilet. And then they're like, okay, well, that was cool. And they put it on the <laughs> desk and forget about it. spectacularly proving the point that they're trying to get a new audience? No, I, I, think they are trying, bit, yeah. I think they are trying to get a new audience. It's just I wonder if that audience is really there. Right. Like, cause you also look at the way they have, like the way it's sold, right? Switch is sold at retail. They have a ton ported into marketing. You know, they have 
this this messaging push that, that makes it very clear what it is, what it's for, who it's for, all that. And, you know, Valve was like selling this thing through Steam, which already sort of presumes that you're a PC gamer. Are they going to have a retail push? Are they going to have more push on other storefronts? Like, I don't know. I mean, maybe. I don't think so necessarily based on their history. But I feel like to get into this, you already kind of got to be into the PC gaming space, right? To some degree, the argument could be though that um, you know, let's take for example uh, PlayStation Four, where it began with the core gamers, basically making it sell out, evangelizing it to other people, and and then it becomes a, a mainstream proposition. There's always phases to any kind of generation when it comes to. Uh, but because this is just a, a device that's part of an already existing thing, rather than like a new. Uh, you know, a whole new ecosystem. It's, I, I do feel like it's a slightly different situation in that regard. So how do you explain the $400 price point then? Because the PC users out there... Oh, I, I'm not saying that they're not trying to do this. I think they are trying to compete. I just don't think that it's necessarily going to be... I, I, I'm I'm skeptical that they're actually going to get a huge new audience that's somehow gone untapped by this. And I think... um so I so one of the things I, I think about is that you look at the history of like different handhelds, right? Nintendo has typically dominated that in that space, and they usually aren't the most cutting edge technology. Um, one of the promises of the PSP and the Vita was here now you can play console games on the go, and you know they're going to be full fledged experiences, super high tech. Um, those were not the experiences that those platforms succeeded on. Most people ended up not wanting that. They didn't want to play like console games on the go. The only reason they succeeded were because of the experiences that took advantage of the mobile factor, the mobile form factor, right? Uh, and even Vita, I mean, it didn't really succeed, let's be honest. I mean, it did okay in some territories, but ultimately Nintendo won out despite having vastly inferior hardware. So I really don't think in this mobile space the hardware matters that much. I think it's cool and people are like, yeah, I want to see this high end stuff, but I don't know if it's enough to really push and make a big new audience. I mean, that's not, you know, the thing about this though, is this isn't a console. So you don't need to apply the same, like, uh, like victory conditions to it. Right. Like this does not need to be the next switch. It doesn't need to succeed in that way to still be awesome right? Like it's ultimately still a PC. So even if this thing fails and it only sold like, like, you know, a thousand units or something, it's going to be way more than that, of course, but you know, low install base, uh, it doesn't matter. You can still use it and still have fun with it. And you'll have thousands of games to play on it. You can tinker with it, do all kinds of stuff with it. So even in the absolute worst case scenario, it's still an interesting device that you can do stuff with. Uh, which, you know, with a failed console, you know, homebrew stuff can kind of rescue it, but, you know, it gets a lot dicier, I think. So I wouldn't say I'm worried about it. I just, I also don't think that there's any, I don't think there's any worry that Nintendo is going to have an issue here. And I think they're going to kind of play in their own pools. And I think both can succeed uh, just in different ways. 
just thinking about what John was saying, I think this device does offer the unique historical opportunity to actually play AAA games on the go. Like the PSP and PS Vita said that as part of the thing, but they were, you know, they were, they were like not getting, they're like imported, like the Uncharted Golden Abyss or whatever it's called, I forget its name, is not exactly Uncharted as you find on the console. It's a completely different game. It's a unique experience that's interesting, but it's also not, can I play Doom Eternal on the go? Well, so Switch actually kind of offers that already. And while we love to look at those ports and they are heavily compromised, but interesting, I actually don't think that if you look at what most people play on the go, I don't think that those are the big games that everybody's buying the switch for. It's like, it's cool to have, it's fun to see, but that's not why it's selling. I think you've done a great job there of answering two questions from our supporters. Eric Hurst was basically asking um, how, whether we believe it will be successful with non-PC gamers and people who've never used Steam before. And uh, Bjork Tribe was basically asking if uh, Steam Deck can compete in a market traditionally dominated by Nintendo, um, because they have a hard time believing that Steam Deck isn't doomed from the start, because the handheld market has proven extraordinarily difficult to crack. Um, is their marketing team up to the task? Marketing this one, oh, man, that's a... That's something I'm not going to get into at the moment because it's uh, it's such a difficult job to do. Um, and but ultimately, um, this whole concept of going up against Nintendo uh, requires basically mass production of the device. And and you're right, John, mass distribution. And um, you know we've we've had no real evidence that either of those are happening, aside from the fact that I think Gabe was talking about. Uh, getting millions of these things out there uh, during that IGN interview. Um, I think the jury's out on that one. So, Rich, just an interesting thing, you know, with the way that you pre-order this thing, it, it, it occurred to me, it would be equivalent to say, oh, you have to sign up for a PSN account or an Xbox account before you can buy one of those consoles, yeah. right? It's like, oh, and, I got to log into PSN and then I can buy it. You know, like that's... Yeah, and to have bought something. And yeah, to have bought before, something. Before June of this year, but to right? get a pre-order. So that, so, so the whole thing is like, it's 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 an interesting, unique way of selling like a new machine in a way, if you will. You know, it's, it's like... It's, it's the pandemic lesson, you know, it's the thing they learned from all the GPU releases and things like that. Like, I think it's actually really smart. I really like that they did that. I actually uh, think it's smart as well. It's just that it presumes a certain level of PC gaming sort of like connection. You have to use Steam and you have to have already made purchases to even buy it. It's great. So, it's <laughs> um, actually a really nice question for you here, Alex, from Paul85. I want to ask about the Steam Deck ray tracing capability. Do you think that eight RDNA 2 CUs will be enough for utilizing it in current and future <laughs> ray tracing games at 720p, 800p? Uh, and uh, if not, is there a way to make ray tracing viable on the Steam Deck? I think Deck? he already answered uh, the question with his expressions. Uh, yeah, my, my, my eyebrow is really high there, but. Uh, I think, yeah, can, you can turn it on, uh, and there's a lot of memory here to make it actually not explode. Uh, but the, the, we looked at what we see with low-level console APIs on uh, Series S so far, and the resolution and frame rate those games are running at are highly compromised. 
with a lot more teraflops of power. So you could definitely turn it on, but you would have to, I think, uh, be looking at like 540 sub 540p resolutions uh, with the settings that are currently offered in PC games. If there were settings in PC games for ultra low resolution ray tracing, maybe you could have a higher output resolution. But I think currently um, it's really expensive. <laughs> I think it's going to depend on the implementation of ray tracing and uh, a lot of things. And um, we still, I, I'm going to assume that it is a full featured RDNA 2, but uh, as, as we've seen from um, PlayStation 5, the, the definition of what RDNA 2 can be can be quite variable. And in actual fact, um, I think there was an Intel uh, slash AMD collaboration. I think it was the Core i7-88 something G. Um, that was a Vega chip um, GPU, but it seemed to have more in common with Polaris, the older generation. So, you know, I guess we'll need to see. I, I do suspect it will be full RDNA 2 simply because that's the IP and it's a newer APU. From where I'm standing now, it's all about, um, the, as I said in the spec analysis video, it's all about whether the developers are going to actively target this as a platform. Uh, I don't think that's going to be that common necessarily. And I really don't think it can be. I think for this to really take off, developers themselves can't be expected to do too much extra legwork specifically for this. You know what I mean? Like it, it needs to work out of the box. And that ultimately that means... I feel like just having a settings options, maybe if they're willing to like include, like say, choose this option for the best Steam Deck experience, right? Because it is a singular platform, at least right now. So, I, you know, if they test for it, they could probably find those best settings straight away while still allowing you to fiddle with it if you want. So um, I don't know, but I, I really think it's important that developers don't have to pour a lot of resources into it. I think every time you ask a developer to pour more resources into a platform, uh, they're less likely to do it if the platform isn't like taking off in a huge way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm, yeah. Uh, that's the way I, pr I primarily see it as well. And that's why uh, kind of at the beginning of this video, I stressed that I really do want to see profiles for 30 and 60 FPS on profiles, a per game basis. Yeah. Profiles, profiles. Man, I, I would be interested in this product if it had profiles because, you know, I mean, I probably wouldn't use it too often, but I'd just be like, I can, there's a reliability option, which consoles have and a P gaming PC doesn't, um, you know, admittedly. So I want this reliability. I want them to push the reliability aspect. I'm going to move on to another question. Uh, battery life. This one is from Ben McSkelly. Battery life is going to be a key consideration given most of the library wasn't built with power usage in mind. To that end, what genres or tech do you expect to be especially heavy on the battery? Um, well, how, how, where you, <laughs> I don't really know where to begin with this one. I mean, Alex, Except you already say, mentioned it with stuff yeah. like compute has a heavy cost. You know, if you yeah. were to turn on ray tracing, of course, obviously, oh, same thing, you know, decimate. Is, yeah. It just comes back to the 15 watt limit, which is going to be a, any, any kind of modern game, you'll hit that limit. And, um, you know, the power consumption, I mean, the, the, the battery life of the, of the Steam Deck has been rated between, uh, I think it's two to eight hours, depending on the application. They talked about Portal 2 running for four hours at 30 frames per second. No, no, no. He talked, they talked about, it was like four hours at 60, I think. And he said, if you cap it to 30, you could get like five or six. 
Oh, okay. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, but it is essentially about um, limiting performance reduces your power draw. But, you know, there's going to be AAA titles that will, to get 60 FPS, to get 30 FPS, you're going to be running straight into that 15 watt limit. So, you know, they talk about a two hour battery life minimum. So the maths are fairly straightforward there. It's a 40 watt hour battery, which means if you're at 20 watts, it lasts for two hours. So 15 watts on the SOC, five watts for the board, the display, the storage. Um, yeah, I mean, if you unlock the frame rate on your games, every game will probably hit so 15 watts. That, that's actually an interesting thing because that's a lot part of the optimization that happens with portable games like on Switch and it was on Vita as well, where a lot of times games, uh, thanks to, you know, homebrew stuff, you can actually remove those frame rate caps and, of course, you can overclock the system. And a lot of these things you can actually hit 60 frames per second on, even though the original game is capped at 30 but then you you actually try using it and you realize why because the battery life gets absolutely decimated uh and i think it's the same thing here where it's just you know you go for that higher performance you're gonna you're gonna lose out on battery life so it's gonna be a a balance i really would want to see that system level toggle that we're talking about here yeah game changer for this system that would be so cool um we got one final question here and uh, i love it uh, do you reckon we could run... This is from Fiddler2K, by the way. Hey. <laughs> do you reckon we could run Crisis 3 at 720p60 without all, all of the settings thrown on low? Also, is Crisis 3 or Crisis Games in general going to be part of your launch content for the Stream Deck? Well, absolutely. It has to be. Uh, Alex, what do you reckon? I'm trying to think about how it runs on Dude, something Dude, it'll like be a... Crisis 3 Remastered. Come on. Now. I, I don't... <sighs> I guess I guess on an on a GTX five was it like five eighty you can kind of almost get sixty FPS at lower settings in Crisis three, and that has less teraflops than this thing. I I think it's possible. I think it, I think it is possible. Maybe not CPU wise though. CPU wise though, it's like mm. I don't know. We, I I've already played Crisis three on a Switch at thirty frames per second, so you know. So oh, the yeah. answer is basically yes. Um, but we, we also ran, um, there was way back when Razer did this crazy tablet with strap-on <laughs> controllers. A strap-on? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Oh, kind of Alex. <laughs> hey, hey. I'm on holiday. Yeah. I don't know. The, shape, the shape of those controllers as well. Let's not, let's not go into it. Uh, but Chad would love it. Uh, um, and... That was running, I believe, 720p low above 30 frames per second. So I reckon this could do it easily. And Crisis 3, it's basically a game where at low settings, I mean, I think I've run it on a on an Intel integrated GPU, an older one at, at 720p 30. So I think 720p 60 should be uh, relatively easily doable on this and probably with like medium slash high. So when you move on to very high, that things go nuclear with Crisis 3, really. Or if you try to play the PlayStation 3 version. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Which is lower than low settings. My yes. goodness. Yeah. So do we have any more notes or observations about um, uh, Steam Deck before we wrap this up? Alex. I just kind of want to say that I don't think it is a direct like attack on the market base of Nintendo or something like that. I think uh, the way a lot of Valve products uh, come into being requires some sort of, in terms of the way they're structured as a company, requires like a team to form that has a really interesting uh, philosophical and 
interesting idea about how they want to do something and then it turns into a game maybe eventually or it turns into a product maybe eventually and i think this is just the product of that maybe uh uh gabe newell really liked uh playing games on the go while working as a blacksmith or something like that well, i don't know he's been Typical. in new zealand right so he's yeah, probably like you know, oh i need to I couldn't take my gaming pc with me so <laughs> he's you know running across the shire in new zealand and he just really wanted to play doom eternal on the go and maybe that's why this exists maybe it also is ties back in heavily to Valve wanting the gaming uh, PC industry to go beyond Windows, and maybe this is a stealth push oh, for yeah. that. I'm sure that is. Um, so I don't think it has much to do with eating up Look, Nintendo's fan base. But before we go on, I do want to stress that uh, making this machine would have taken years. So the, the concept of, of Gabe <laughs> on vacation last year saying, why, why can't I play Steam? This is this is unacceptable. And then, send, and then dispatching his minions to make a handheld that appears you know, just over a year later. Yeah. Uh, that, that was a joke. Please yeah. don't quote, Please quote don't us. Please don't quote us there. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I will say, though, that their, their timing was pretty good in terms of, like, announcing this right after the whole uh, Switch OLED thing, mm. you know? Where well, it's that like, is a good a good question there, John, which is, um, yeah, I mean, I guess I want your final thoughts on this, but also thoughts on Switch Pro and basically where we're at with that at the moment in terms of market demand. Do we need it? What do you reckon? I don't think we really necessarily need it. I kind of feel like the next time we see a new Nintendo console, it'll be the next system rather than like an enhanced model at this point. Wow. Um, so I, I feel like Nintendo is perfectly happy with where they are. They're still selling insane numbers of units right now. It's obviously a huge success and it will continue to be a success. And yeah, I mean, we'll just have to watch where they go next. But I think when talking about anything like this uh, I, when looking at hardware I, I think nintendo genuinely doesn't really seem to ever follow or care what others are doing uh at least mm. since the wii era and the ds era before that yes they did but now it's like well they just kind of do what they're gonna do well we had that remarkable statement i think it was yesterday where basically they called out bloomberg on their reporting saying, look, uh, we're not uh, getting bigger profit margins from uh, Switch OLED than the standard Switch, and we don't have any new hardware coming. That that was a weird statement from them, especially since some people have looked at the bill of materials on this, and uh, let's just say it's a, it's a little bit weird the way the, what they said there. So I feel like Nintendo is being weirdly um, aggressive with people. Like, they must be pretty angry or, or, at or leakers defensive. right now. Or defensive, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, if you look at the difference between the Switch and the Switch Pro, which comes down to the OLED screen and um, essentially, you know, a new storage uh, chip, EMC, EMMC NAND, I'm struggling to see the $50 markup, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> Especially um, with the, um, well, the thing on their side in terms of, it's like, you know, there's been talk about certain parts of the Switch becoming more difficult to source, so maybe it's actually getting more expensive to make the original Switch, and this actually ends up saving them some money in the long run. So I, I don't know. I mean, there, there could be other sides to this whole discussion. Oh, but... Well, you know, the whole concept of Nintendo saying, you know, we, we don't have any plans for a new console, that's, you know, that's not true. That's obviously they, they... not true. <laughs> Every console developer um, platform holder is always working on the next machine. 
Um, you know, the question of when it's going to appear is up in the air, but, you know, they're working on it. There's no doubt about it. So um, it's just a question of when, really. So that was that was kind of strange. Um, but, yeah, I'd just like to thank both of you for joining me for this. Uh, it's not an impromptu uh, direct, but it's something we had to do because there was just so much to discuss. So if you did enjoy the content, please do like, subscribe, share, ring the bell, of course, for instant. Yes, instant. I'll say it again, instant notifications when new content drops. Uh, DF supporter program, uh, join us, join our Discord. Talk. To, I mean, we've been talking to our supporters about the Switch, uh, sorry, the Steam Deck and the Switch Pro for days now. Get involved, join the supporter program. Uh, pristine quality video downloads of everything we do, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but that's <laughs> everything from us for now. Thanks for watching. See you.